the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. All right, welcome to an emergency edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Trinetti, manager and editor of Spot Track. Diving in here with uh, the official start of the 2019 league year, we're going to get to some free agency. We're going to talk some trades, all the things that became officially official yesterday that we've heard about now for three days. We've got some numbers, we've got some figures. We're going to start with, I don't know, maybe the most interesting free agent to hit the market here, Le'Veon Bell. Official numbers coming in for his deal with the Jets. Mixed reviews, to say the least. Mixed reviews. A lot of uh, a lot of Twitter chatter, what else is new, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the numbers. What he got, what he was supposed to get from Pittsburgh, what he gave up, all those things. On paper, it's four years, $52.5 million which take it for what it is. If he's playing until he's 30 years old on this deal, I'd be surprised based on the, uh, the history of running backs and his history of you know, wanting to uh, refresh his finances after a couple of years. All things considered, this is two years, $26 million, almost entirely guaranteed. He gets $25 million fully guaranteed starting Sunday, right after a couple of roster bonuses kick in. So if we're just talking about that, and we should, because that's the number that really matters here, the $25 million. That's $5 million more than, than the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to give him last year on a multi-year contract. I know he was going to get $15 million a year. I know there was $30 million of guarantees built into that contract, but they were only going to give him $20 million fully guaranteed at the start. And that's by way of a signing bonus. That's what they did with Antonio Brown. That's what they did with Ben Roethlisberger. Both of those guys got $19 million signing bonuses, and that's it for initial guarantees. And that's how the Pittsburgh Steelers operate. That's how they've always operated. That's how they're most likely going to continue to operate. Um, Take it or leave it. And for the past two years now, with Bell and Brown now, it's been leave it, right? And we can talk about Brown's Antonio Brown's locker room situation and his off-the-field antics and blah, blah, blah. This is about money, okay? And he didn't want to come out and say that, and Drew Rosenhaus's agent didn't want to come out and say that, but it's not a coincidence that 17 seconds after he's traded to Oakland, we're talking about a brand-new deal with more guarantees, more upfront guarantees, more base salary guarantees, something Pittsburgh wouldn't do. So, so that's the situation here as well, okay? Le'Veon Bell gets $14.5 million in 2019, which is hilarious to me because that's exactly the tag number that he gave up last year in Pittsburgh. So a little bit of trolling there by the Jets, which I love to see. He gets $14.5. Um, he'll have all of that by essentially by Sunday. It's a $2 million base salary, so that's his annual, that's his biweekly paycheck through the year. You know, that's what he stands to forfeit through suspensions and things like that if they're, if those ever come in. But $14.5 million this year, another 11.5 next year. It's all locked in. It's all good to go. Um, so from that perspective, there's not much to talk about here. All right? He's going to get $26 million whether he, you know, no matter what happens. There are some per-game active bonuses with this. All right. Every single year, there's a $500,000 per game active bonus. So if he is injured or if he does miss some time or if there is a holdout antic situation, um, he will lose 31000 per game for that. 
There are also, at the back end of this deal, $3 million training camp bonuses built into 2021 and 2022, which I thought are interesting because those are specifically built in so that he doesn't hold out <laughs> in, those next, in those last two years of the deal, if, if it gets that far. Um, so I, I thought this is actually a really nicely structured deal by the New York Jets. They didn't break the bank because they didn't have to. I mean, from what we're hearing, the, the 49ers made an offer. But look, the, you want to talk about contract structures. The 49ers have been giving everybody one-year deals that look like five-year deals. Even Jimmy Garoppolo could have been cut this year. All right? So, uh, you know, my guess is when it was all said and done and Le'Veon Bell's offers all kind of came in front of him, this was the most stable-looking contract offer he was given. The Jets were essentially betting against themselves on this. Right? There was no other real contender in terms of a multi-year big guaranteed deal. So they didn't have to go to Todd Gurley's number. They didn't have to go to $50 million guaranteed, those crazy numbers we heard a month and a half ago. So I, I like it for what it is. Like I said, Bell increased his guarantees over the Pittsburgh Steelers deal. No, no matter what you read, no matter what you hear, that the initial guaranteed at signing is $5 million more now than it was last year. So... Is that was that worth the holdout? Probably not, right? Because gave up fourteen and a half million dollars last year to gain five million in guarantees this year. So when you when you're trying to compare, and if you have to if you have to get an opinion on was it worth it, looking at this deal, I'm going to say no because fourteen and a half million dollars is a heck of a lot of money to give up. Not to mention a year, you know, a, a 26 year age to give up when you're a running back, and we know how quickly these careers have been folding. So. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, pat him on the back, even though I understand it. Um, the problem here is he didn't break the bank, right? And, and the point of the holdout was to make a stance, um, try to reset this running back market, and he had to come in big. It, it, this contract had to be huge for that holdout to pan out, and it isn't. And I don't, I'm not sure, you know, the majority are going to say it was worth it. I understand it. I'm for athletes doing that. I'm I'm actually okay with Antonio Brown. I'm not certainly in that. It's it's kind of like a LeBron James situation, right? The way he went about things, like like when LeBron went to Miami, certainly regrettable, right? I think even he regrets it now looking back. Antonio Brown, you know, made a bit of a circus to get out of Pittsburgh. It worked. He got a way better deal. Um, he's arguably in a better situation with, you know, Roethlisberger probably off this roster after 2019. So they're, they're going to be rebuilding on the fly. Um, you know, say what you will about Derek Carr, but that's a, that's a nice little offense they've built out, out in Oakland. So look at, he, he needed a change of scenery. He needed more guaranteed money. He made a big stink about it. I'm obviously not a fan of that. Um, and I'm not a fan about the way he went about it using social media and things like that, but it worked. All right, he the the proof is in the pudding on Antonio Brown's 2019 situation. He's on a different team, arguably a little bit better situation for him on a short term, right? On a two three year stance, and he got more money. So, Bell, the same goes for Le'Veon Bell. All right, like I said, I'm not going to beat the dead horse here, but structurally, this is a better deal than Pittsburgh could have offered him. It's more guaranteed money. It's a base salary guaranteed deal. He's got nice roster bonuses built into this thing. Um, it's a two-way win. Le'Veon Bell gets a nice contract. The Jets didn't have to break the bank. It's good structure for them. Uh, tenable cap hits for a team that has a ton of cap space. So let's move along here on to some other big splash signings because it's been a, boy, a fun little 72 hours here of 
agreements and trades and contracts. But unfortunately, my job, <laughs> just being in this in the chair that I'm in with these, is I have to sort of take those ninety million dollar Trey Flowers numbers and cut them down because. As we know, these NFL contracts have a lot of funny money in them, a lot of fluff at the end of these things. Um, and that's really why we implemented this potential out system, this metric inside of our site. And on all these free agent contracts, when you know, you know the ones we have broken out, you're going to see a big line through the middle of the contract somewhere, generally after the second or third year, that characterizes this potential out. And it shows how much money they're practically like, likely to make, how much dead cap exists on the deal at that time. Uh, that's, you know, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a follower of spot track, that's the number I want you to look at. All right. Is that potential out? Because everything after that is essentially an option, right? The dead cap structure is built in so that after a certain point of the contract, the team can get out if they need to, without a too, too much of a damaging dead cap hit. So that's the line we're drawing is where, where does that contract flip over from really stable because there's a lot of dead cap to uh, it's probably a team option at this point because the dead cap is pretty low. Um, so that's the line we draw, we've drawn here. And for instance, with Trey flowers, I know it's, I know it's five for 90 million on paper, but we drew that line right after year three, three years, $54 million, still a great payout for a guy who, you know, production wise statistically is not eye popping, right? He, uh, solid, solid player for the, uh, the, the Patriots there. And, you know, that's, that's what happens. You put up good numbers on a winning team and lots of other teams want you, especially former Patriots executives. Right. So I, I get it. Um, he was arguably the best defensive free agent to hit the market. So the $90 million didn't surprise anybody that 18 million per year is top five money. Um, even the 54 over three is really good money for a, you know, a free agent defensive end edge, edge defender. So good stuff. Um, he's guaranteed $40 million at signing. That's a nice, nice number. So that's a little over those first two years, fully guaranteed there. It's good. Um, but that's sort of the point I wanted to make here with this little emergency podcast is not only am I working to get these numbers in and, and sort of you know calculate what's happening cap-wise for each team and all of that, um, and that's the animal that I have to feed over this week here, but I'm also, you know, really trying to make, put it out there and I'm sort of tweeting these contracts out as I break them down, um, that, you know, there's, it's just not what you think, you know, don't take the 90 millions for what they are because in the NFL, that's just not how it is. I mean, the, the amount of guys that actually complete an NFL contract of three years or more are jarringly low. Okay. It's around a third. Um, it just doesn't happen. They're, they're not structured that way. In fact, many of these Lions contracts, the Jesse James, the Justin Coleman's, um, they're going to have dummy years. So let me explain that, all right? Signing bonuses can be prorated over a maximum of five years, right? And what that means is $20 million divided by five is $4 million a year, right? That's the, that's the cap charge from the signing bonus on the annual basis. Well, they only wanted to give Jesse James a four-year deal in terms of actual cash payments, but they added a fifth year as a dummy year, a voidable year, so that they could prorate that signing bonus over the five years and keep the, the cap numbers lower on an annual basis. That's something that a lot of teams choose to do. Some teams never do it. Um, but in a lot of these Lions contracts, and we're seeing it in a few other teams this year as well, you'll notice that these brand new contracts that, that I'm putting up have slashes through the last two years or have options in the last couple of years. That The, the reason for that is 
they want to be able to spread out these these bonuses to the maximum five years, but they don't want to ex- necessarily have to pay these players for five years. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. We're seeing a lot, lot more op- actual option years. So maybe two-year deals with a third-year option or a one-year deal with a two-year option. Um, and we talked about this on a recent podcast episode, how this is a little bit of a circumvention by these teams, by the smart teams, especially the Patriots. They can build in options to the language of the contract, pay a guy for one year, decline that option, and not only do they get the, they save the cap and the cash, but they also qualify for a comp- compensatory pick because of that. So until that changes in the next CBA, which I have to imagine it does because it's quite a loophole that a lot of teams are, fi- are getting uh, privy to here. But until that changes, that's something more and more teams have been using, and I'm seeing a lot of it with these free agent contracts as well. So keep an eye out for actual option years on the site. Uh, those will be labeled red, colored red on the contract breakdowns as you see them. Uh, outside of that, let's talk trades to kind of wrap things up here because holy cow, right? <laughs> Just when I thought I was going to get some sleep Tuesday night, you know, the uh, Giants decided to that they're finally rebuilding because... That move for Aldo Beckham Jr. is quite a move from a financial standpoint, from a team standpoint. Um, I, I, I crapped on the Giants pretty hard on Twitter that night, and I don't, I don't regret it. I think it's the right thing to say. Basically, what I said is, you know, you're, you're, sign, you're trading Aldo Beckham Jr. because you're finally realizing where you are in your team-building process. And having kept Eli Manning as your starting quarterback for the last two years – was like smoke and mirrors, right? It was like, we, if well, if we're keeping Eli, we really can't rebuild. Uh, and that would have been fine. That would have been fine if Eli Manning was your starting quarterback had you had plan B sitting on the bench with a clipboard, you know, learning the process, learning the mentality of Eli Manning, which is still, I'm sure, elite. Uh, but Eli Manning physically cannot be an elite quarterback anymore. And and that doesn't justify his salary, his cap hits, and keeping your team in a win-now process, which is what they've been doing. You don't sign Odell Beckham Jr. to that extension if you think you're rebuilding. You don't. So a year ago, this time, when that deal got done, the Giants were nowhere near a rebuild, even though everybody was clamoring for them to draft a quarterback with the second overall pick. They didn't. They took Saquon Barkley. They gave Odell Beckham a ton of money. Eli Manning went out there and had a pitiful 2018. Um, and here we are. They're going to keep Eli one more year because they still haven't addressed that plan B. All right. And they're going to do that one way or another over the next six months. I, I guarantee you that. But it sure sounds like Eli is going to stay. And fine, because Eli is not going to hurt your rebuilding process now. He's going to be, if anything, you know, the tank for two or whatever it's going to be over the next uh, calendar year here is going to be just fine under Eli Manning's tutelage. But um, getting Odell Beckham off, it sounds crazy. It is crazy, but it saves a ton of cash. It saves cap. Um, it allows you the roster and the finances to rebuild this thing as you need to. And they've done a ton of work. I mean, they have gutted their defense. They have moved a lot of pieces. They're trying to rebuild this offensive line, which has been a disaster and quite a, quite frankly, quite a lot of Eli's problems. Um, so they are doing taking some steps to really refresh this thing quickly, which I give them credit for. Um, but, you know, the Browns, let's let's flip it on this end here. The, the Browns get some kind of trade here. They really do. I mean, I understand what they gave up in terms of the draft. 
They gave up a starting safety that maybe it wasn't a great fit there anyway. I mean, I don't think I, I know that's a top five guy and and he's a he's a talented safety. But look, we just went through an offseason, a free agency here in two and a half days where I don't know, five of the top seven safeties in the league just changed teams. Uh, and they got paid well, but just like I broke down with Trey Flowers, none of those deals are more than two years, okay? Not Earl Thomas's, not Landon Collins. Haven't seen Tyron Matthews yet, but that's a three-year deal. I imagine it's two years guaranteed in Kansas City. Uh, there's going to be talent back on the market is my point. Um, these safeties contracts are not long-term deals. They're, they're quick cash grabs that get refreshed. It's just the nature of the position. It's turning into a little bit of a running back situation where, you know, the best players do get a quick glance of good money, but it's they're quickly out of those contracts as well. My point being, the Browns can refresh this quickly, and there's still a few decent free agent safeties available. So I, having to give that up and a couple of decent draft picks to get Odell Beckham with five years remaining on a deal, even if you have to restructure that and throw some guaranteed money up the, up the, uh, up the wheel a little bit, you do it. Uh, but at his age, with his talent, connecting him with uh, his college buddy Jarvis Landry in an offense that's ready to roll. I mean, even keep Cream Hunt out of that for now because he's probably missing the first six weeks. But then bring him into the fold and look at this offense around Baker Mayfield, and it's a it's a wow situation right now in Cleveland. So uh, a lot of good things happening. Uh, that's you know that's really the trade to talk about. We've talked a little bit about the Flacco and Keenum moves. Um, to me, that's an is was is what it is kind of situation. Uh, if it works out for either, good. If not, you know, both will move on after this year anyway. So um, that was sort of a, a last hurrah move while I think both of those franchises actually have to figure out a long-term solution for, at the quarterback. You know, Denver, I assume, will draft somebody here again. And Washington might be smart to in those mid-rounds because it sure sounds like Alex Smith isn't going to be able to play football again. Um and that's too bad. That was a nice nice signing and a nice fit for that franchise for the few, at least a three, four-year span. So we'll see what happens there. But like I said, that trade sort of loses its luster when you when you understand it's really just a one-year show-me-prove-it kind of thing. And they're kind of hoping the veteran experience sticks for what they need built around it. I mean, you've got Case Keenum and Adrian Peterson and Vernon Davis <laughs> as your sort of big three in Washington right now. That's, uh, that's quite an interesting little... Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sitting in Buffalo here, and one of the first moves that came across for the Buffalo Bills this offseason was a was a $2 million contract for Frank Gore, who's 35 years old. Still looked great with, as a Miami Dolphin last year. I'm not going to put him down in terms of his production, but the Bills now sit with Frank Gore at 35. Uh, excuse me. There's Sean McCoy at 30 going on 31. Chris Ivory go at 30 going on 31. Marcus Murphy at 28 going on 29. So don't tell me the veteran running back contract is dead because the Buffalo Bills are single-handedly uh, pumping the brakes on that conversation. But we'll see. Like I said, I think there's a, there's a lot of trends happening here with free agency that we'll continue to kind of harp on. And I think we'll have a show in the next couple of days and really put some numbers into it once I have the majority of these breakdowns in, I'll be able to talk about percent percent guaranteed versus the total value. I'll talk about some positional trends, obviously big trends with the safeties and the inside linebackers. A um, little bit less, I think a little bit less 
of a running back payday than I thought we were going to see across the board. Tevin Coleman, a real tempered deal in San Fran. Obviously, Le'Veon's deal is a little little quieter than a lot of people anticipated. Um, we'll see what happens here. Uh, there's some extensions still to come, which I think, you know, that's that's sort of the next wave, right? We've got this big free agent pop. We'll have some small free agent signings over the next week to kind of round things out. Then teams assess where they are. There's some more cap casualties to come based on guys that have gotten signed. Once those get hashed out, everybody sort of assesses their cap situation. Um, and then it starts in extension time, right? Then the Cowboys come in with their four big guys that need to get extended. Then Russell Wilson extension talks come in. Um, and you got some other ones across the league. But there, I, I anticipate that in two weeks we'll be talking about major paydays for these veterans on their own teams right now where uh, – Right now, those teams are sort of standing pat, right? Nothing really big from the Seahawks. A couple of guys coming back on small deals. A couple of one-year deals for the Dallas Cowboys. But everybody sort of knows what's going on here. And <laughs> and uh, one last trade. I forgot, by the way. D Ford. Boy, the Chiefs are really gambling here. I'm going to finish off on this. The Chiefs have released Justin Houston. They've traded D Ford off, off his franchise tag. Um, they've released Eric Berry. A lot of moves. Like I said, they brought in Tyron Matthew. It looks like a sizable cash cap deal up for the first two years. So that's going to be, I mean, they were not cap thrifty coming into this thing. Eric Berry doesn't save him any money yet because that, that contract has to stay on the books until June 1st before it falls off. And then they'll get some savings. Justin Houston did clear about $14 million, I believe, maybe seventeen. I'm, I'm, I'm missing on that one. but uh, And obviously the D4 franchise tag comes off. So that's $15 million cleared there. So there is maybe 20 to 25 million to work with, but they have they've abandoned their their pass rush essentially. Yes, they're going to get Chris Jones done probably. That's my that's essentially one of those extensions I'm talking about. I would assume he and Tyreek Hill are in that list of in the next 2 weeks we start ramping up conversations for extensions there. Um but man, they're taking a risk with how much they've lost unless they have something in the draft works ready to roll in May. Um they're Look for them to be in the conversation for the one-year prove-it deal for some veteran who got released that needs to come in. Ziggy Ansah, those kind of guys, right? Um, and there's a few of them out there to keep, keep a look at. But that's, that's sort of how things should progress here. We've, we've had the big splash now. The money, the big money should be out. Nick Foles, Trey Flowers, Le'Veon Bell. Um, we're past that wave. We're going to get into some smaller, you know, shorter signings, less money signings. Then we'll move into extension mode. Then we start getting into the draft mode. And then after that, undrafted mode. And it's just a never-ending cycle for the next few months. That's why the NFL is king and will remain that way. This has been fun. We'll be back soon. I think, like I said, probably two, three days we'll do another show. Have Paul and Kevin back in the fold. And we'll uh, break down this money even deeper. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Spot Track Podcast. Mm-hmm.